Friends, it's my great uh, honor tonight to introduce a good friend, um, Tim Blackman. Tim has, um, as a pastor's pastor, he's been a pastor in the Netherlands, he's been a pastor in California, he's currently the chaplain at Wheaton College. Um, yeah, woo. yeah, we, we love, hope, hope, hope loves some Wheaton, and, and Tim is here to bring some hope to Wheaton. Um, that, that was a really bad joke. Yeah. It, just, it just didn't go you anywhere. Have dad jokes. That's right. That um, but a, a true servant of the word, and we're so grateful that he's here tonight in partnership with Western Theological Seminary. He's doing the uh, Bass Professor uh, Bass Festival of Preaching, and we have this partnership where we like to collaborate together. So Tim is here to offer the word. Would you please give a warm Hope College welcome to Tim Black? Hope College, what's good? It is great to see you. Before I read scripture, I have to say, CJ's shoe game is on point. Did you see the shoes? Is, is that a size 13? Is it really? Well, how convenient. Okay, I mean, how beautiful are the feet of him who preaches the gospel of good news. I need some of those. I don't sure what setting I would wear them in, but man, he rocks those. Uh, it's an incredible privilege to be with you tonight. I understand that you've been talking at the gathering about worship, and I want to bring what will seem initially like an incredibly difficult and weighty and dangerous passage from the scriptures, but if somebody locks the doors and you stick with me for a few minutes, you will hear some gospel truth that is going to have a shouting in the gospel choir back. Amen. Amen? Amen. So somebody lock the doors right now because I'm about to read from the book of Amos, but let's pray as we read it. Father in heaven, with the psalmist, I say that I tremble at your word because it is a word aimed at worship. It is even a critique of our worship. And if there was ever a call to repentance, Lord, tonight we hear it. Lord, we have just sung of your goodness. And we have lifted our hands and we have made music and we have clapped. And Lord, joy fills our heart. And then we hear the dangerous words of Amos. And we pray that we would have ears to hear. Lord, we can't wait to come to the table again where you put the living word into our mouths and we feed on the bread of life. Lord, minister to us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I dare you open your Bible to the book of Amos, the eighth chapter. Do students bring their Bibles here or your phones or other electronic Bible devices? Amos chapter 8 is a sobering call to repentance. Listen to this. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. 
The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this. You who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we, might, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. This is the word of the Lord. If the prophet Amos had been invited to speak at this gathering at Dimnon Chapel or a similar one at Wheaton College, I, I wonder what he would say. I've been reading and med- meditating on this passage for over a year now, and And I'm wondering if he would share with us the following cartoon to describe what it is that he is doing. I don't know if you can see this, but it says, our next speaker has looked into the abyss and made a few notes. So my talk tonight is entitled, A Few Notes from the Abyss. Aren't you glad you invited me, Trig? (laughs) Can somebody say a few notes? A few notes. See, they know what to do. A few notes. A few notes from the abyss is what we're dealing with. As you can tell from the reading, Amos, the shepherd of Tekoa, has looked into the abyss. He's been in the abyss of Judah and of Israel, and he's made a few notes with a prophecy that takes your breath away. I don't, I don't expect Amos to get any airtime on K-Love. I don't know if you have K-Love around here. K-Love encouraging positive music that they won't be playing Amos. Hey, Alexa, play Amos, said no one ever. <laughs> and you'll see why. Look at what it says, that last verse seven. It'll take your breath away. I swear, God swears by his own name. I will never forgive. I will never Forget the work that you've done. You're like a basket of overripe fruit, nearly rotten fruit, expired. Your best consumed by date has long passed. Squishy and rancid fruit, I'm sick of it. The prophet Amos is saying, you're acting all religious. You've got these moon festivals that you're celebrating. You're pretending to be pious, and you're doing that thing year after year after year, but you actually can't wait for it to be over so that you can inflict justice, injustice on the poor. You're, you're actually chomping at the bit for the Sabbath day to be over. And of course, you wouldn't just break the Sabbath. No, no, no. Of course, you wouldn't be caught dead breaking the Sabbath, but you cannot wait for it to be over, wondering if it is already sundown so that you can get on your way and make some clever adjustments with your weights and measures so that you can scheme to scam the poor. This is the word of Amos. 
He says, you, you can keep singing your songs all you want, but guess what? Your songs are going to become laments, and then there's going to be dead silence, because as the text said, there's going to be dead bodies flung around everywhere. Earlier on in the book of Amos, we heard this haunting call in chapter 5. He says, take away from me the noise of your songs. I'm sick of them. Give me some earplugs. It's as if God is saying through the prophet Amos, there is too much hypocrisy. There are too many damned decibels of noise, and I'm sick of it. Can you, can you imagine the prophet Amos preaching at Dimnant Chapel, Lord, a place at Wheaton. I wonder, I wonder if he would say something like this. If I, if, I hear, if I hear one more gospel song, if I hear one more praise chorus, if I see one more person swooning in ecstasy with their hands raised to Jesus, who is then thinking about the next way that they can walk away from me, rebel against me, that the only thing that they think about during worship is actually how they can get a hookup or how they can get drunk or how to do both in one night, even though you're in the middle of worship and you've got all the liturgical and spiritual Jesus he feels. I wonder if he would say something like that. Yeah, oh, I was right. There's more where that came from. Prophet Amos is saying, I don't care if you have all these fancy services. I don't care about all your sacramental vibes and your churchy moods. I feel like pulling the plug. I, I will bring sackcloth on every waistband and baldness on every head. I will make it as a day of mourning for an only son. What a word. You can hear this, this fatherly exasperation in God's tone of voice. He's, he's saying, you were, you were called to be priests. I, I chose you to bless the strangers and to defend the cause of the weak. I, your, your job was to, to carry the presence, to, to fear God. I asked you to do one thing necessary, to love God and to hate what is evil. That's what I wanted you to do. I wanted you to hate what was evil and to cling to what is good. And now all I get is a worship gathering. And right here in the middle of this beautiful worship service with these beautiful Hope students, it's good for us to pause for a minute and recognize that God is, not one, is interested one bit in our worship. If I don't do, if I don't do justice, if, I, my, if my life does not match, if I don't seek righteousness, oh, it's so easy to get religious and to get all the Jesus he feels. But God is not tricked. He won't be fooled. And this is actually the danger of worship. I hope, I hope you li listen to this. See, it, it is easy for worship to become a narcotic to help ease the pang of a guilty conscience. Let me say that one more time for the people in the back. It is, it is easy for worship to become a narcotic to help ease the pang of a guilty conscience. And you know what? What Amos does is he takes our little bottle of religion pills and he flushes them all down the drain. Because if what we profess, if what we proclaim does not match what we practice, if worship and justice are out of sync, our faith is the opiate of the masses. As if our physical presence in worship is somehow an alibi for our injustice. 
They think their, their liturgy is laudable and their prayers are profitable and their sacrifice is meaningful and God is not interested in it at all. He's not impressed with their illusory goodness and he won't be tricked by the liturgical smoke and mirrors. See, this is the danger of worship. In fact, this is the Achilles heel of worship. Worship can be a little bit like, like being sick and, and needing to go to the hospital. I don't know if you know this, but you go to the hospital to get better, but then you find out that the hospital is actually a breeding ground for all kinds of superbugs. I don't want to tell you this, but that's actually true. So you, you go to the hospital, get your tonsils taken out, and you come back with the norovirus or something like that. You get, a little, you get a little scratch in your leg and you need some stitches, but you end up with necrotizing fasciitis instead. <laughs> See, just like in the hospital in worship, sometimes the solution to the problem is simultaneously the solution and the problem. This is the danger of worship because worship can become our favorite place to hide from God, our favored and preferred place to pretend. See, worship is supposed to be this wholehearted manifestation of our love for God, but worship can easily become the perfect breeding ground for all kinds of hypocrisy. Sometimes the solution to the problem is simultaneously the solution and the problem. Now, I have, I have to admit, reading Amos uh, puts me, as my students will tell you, and some of them are here, it puts me on the struggle bus a little bit. Because see, the, the hypocrisy of Israel and Judah is obvious. The incongruity between what they worship and what they're doing, it's easy for me to see, and it's easy for me to point that out in their lives, but it is actually a lot harder for me to recognize that in my own life. Let me, let me show you a picture here that will illustrate this point. This picture is taken from a 1920 Portland, Oregon clan meeting. Now, it is very easy for us to say, okay, that is the abyss of injustice. Would you not agree? I mean, there they are. Look at them, complete with white robes of purity, blood-dipped crosses lit to signify the light of Christ and a, and a huge banner proclaiming Jesus saves for everybody to see. Yeah, that, that's the abyss. But it's so much harder for me to see my own incongruities. It's much harder for me to discern my own inconsistencies and much more difficult to come to terms with the abyss within me. I am, I'm actually blind to my own idolatry. I'm unaware of my own racism. I'm unaware that my culture has actually hijacked my discipleship and has squeezed me into the world's mold as if the world has now colonized my Christianity. I can go to church 52 Sundays out of the year. I can be the chaplain of a Christian college and still not be bothered with injustice. I, I can still not lose a minute of sleep over mass incarceration and not be perturbed one moment by the precarious predicament of the unborn and not care at all. It's entirely possible to come to worship services like this all the time, to not be phased by the abyss of human suffering that is all around us. It's easy not to care. It's easy not to be bothered. And it is super easy, particularly on social media, for me to, to verbalize my outrage at you 
everybody else who's not with it. In one of the lectionaries, I often see this passage in Amos paired with a passage from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9. And and it took me a long time to figure out why. But Matthew chapter 9 recounts the story of Matthew's own repentance. Now, let's see how, how well Hope College knows their Bible. What was Matthew's profession? Say it louder. Matthew had been a tax collector, a Jew, by all accounts a religious man. We don't actually know, the text doesn't tell us, whether or not he was observant, but I'm not even sure if it matters or not. Because in Matthew's life, we see actually the abyss of moral evil and injustices. And I'm going to mess with you a little bit tonight. Tonight, for the sake of this talk, let's just not call Matthew Matthew, but let's just call Matthew Kanye, can we? Can we just call Matthew Yeezy? So Matthew chapter 9 is about Yeezy's conversion. He cheats, he steals, he extorts, he conspires with the Romans. He is actually everything the prophet Amos is talking about. He is willing to do whatever to get ahead. And then in Matthew chapter 9, with almost no warning as all, uh, at all, I mean, just in a matter of four verses, Jesus passed on from there. He sees a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he says to him, follow me. And Matthew rose up and followed him. So Jesus walks by the tax booth. The, the symbol, that place, the, the exact place where the taxis get levied. This is the locus delicti, the place of trauma and turmoil. This is the exact spot, and out of the clear blue sky, ex nihilo, Jesus just like that, issues a call to him, creating something out of nothing and saying to Matthew, you come follow me. It happens just like that in the span four verses. Jesus says, come follow me, and then Matthew does. Now, I, I've always wondered why we don't have a little bit more background. I, I've always wondered, does, so does Matthew then actually end up selling the luxury vehicle that he purchased with the money that he cheated other people out of? Does he like return the swanky penthouse that he's been living in because he's feeling remorseful. We, so we, we don't know. But guess what? Guess who's coming for dinner? Jesus is having dinner now with the perpetrator of injustice, with the traitor at a table with a sinner. Matthew chapter 9, or I should say, Yeezy chapter 9, verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table and house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came, and they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And that dinner sent shock waves through the entire region. Can you imagine? Yeezy of all people, Matthew of all people. The people are outraged and Jesus wants to make sure while everybody is listening to him that they hear his message loud and clear. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. And then he quotes Amos, I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. 
I, I think it is safe to say that tonight the only thing more shocking than Amos, than Amos sobering confrontation of injustice is the shocking invitation that the unjust tax collector gets to have dinner with Jesus at the table of mercy. The, the only thing more shocking than God's promise of despair over the perpetuators and the perpetrators of injustice is God's offer of forgiveness and salvation for the very man who epitomizes this injustice. And so here you see that Jesus is both the savior of justice for the needy and he is the savior of grace for the oppressor. Oh, I feel like preaching right now. In a few moments, in a few moments, we are going to have a live reenactment of the tax collector's meal. Because get what? Sinners of all stripes, hope sinners, and three Wheaton sinners sitting right over there, they get to come to the table. Because this table right here is for every racist, and it is for every fornicator, and it is for every porno watcher, and for every liar, and for every complainer, and for every inveterate hypocrite who has ever darkened the doors of this church, you come and take your seat at the table. You can be seated on one condition, that you follow Matthew following Jesus. And now we actually come to the point that I want to make, because this is really what worship is about. Amos wants to say that worship is about repentance. True worship is repentance. True worship is a willingness to let Jesus lead us into a new life. I think today's Reformation Sunday, so it would be remiss of me not to leave you with a word from Brother Martin Luther. He said this, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. That worship that life of repentance is a way of life. Because here's, notice this, this is, so, this is so beautiful because in the life of Matthew, all throughout the gospel, he makes sure that there are all kinds of tax collectors who are documented as having had their lives changed. And we see here that for Matthew's life, that has now been changed. He has been painstakingly recording the gospel, not as a disinterested observer, but as a changed man, because this is his song. This is his story. His life has been changed. Somehow, the perpetrator of injustice has become an evangelist, all because Jesus Christ went into the abyss. And when Jesus went into the abyss, he didn't just go there to take notes, but he went in there to take names and your name and my name. I want to leave you with one, one last word from, from an all but forgotten Lutheran prayer of confession. I think this is a good way for us to go to the table. There's two parts to it. And surprisingly, he actually, Luther actually begins this prayer of confession with bad news, or it begins it with good news and then lists the bad news. But listen to this words, these words. If you confess your sins for the sake of Jesus' suffering, death and resurrection, by his authority, if you truly repent and believe in him, you will receive forgiveness for all your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
So that is the, the good news of Jesus Christ. Let that reverberate. And I don't care what kind of hope variety sinners you have as opposed to our preferred Wheaton variety of sinners, but of all kinds, repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ and come eagerly as you come to the table. Come just with your hands like this and somebody will dip it in your hands as if to say, I bring nothing but my brokenness. I bring nothing but my desperate need. I bring nothing but the sin that made the cross necessary. But also be warned, and this is the second word, If we persist in our sin, if we remain unbelieving and unrepentant so long as we continue in our sin, God has not forgiven us and will not forgive what we have done and will certainly visit our iniquities upon us if we don't come to a life of true repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It's my prayer as we come to the Lord's table tonight that our worship would be worship of true repentance. If you need to do business with God tonight before you take the Lord's Supper, do it now. Do it on your knees. Do it flat on the floor. But do business with God. But then know that if you confess your sins, Jesus Christ is faithful and just to cleanse you from sin and all unrighteousness. And then after we all tax collectors sit at that meal We're going to worship some more, and CJ's going to put on his dancing shoes. But in the meantime, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We tremble at it. We marvel at it. We pray that we may hear this double word, this invitation to repent and to be absolved, even as sinners and hypocrites and tax collectors. Do this work now in our hearts tonight so that we may live lives of true worship. In your name we pray, amen.